Chapter Twenty, Section One of J. B. Bury's *The Students' Roman Empire*, Part Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. *The Students' Roman Empire*, Part Two, by John Bagnall Bury. Chapter Twenty: Rebellions in Germany and Judea. 69 to 70 A.D. Section 1 First Stage of the Revolt of Civilis While the legions were contending for the right of electing a princeps, and Italy was devastated with civil war, the empire was threatened in two opposite quarters, in the southeast and in the southwest, with serious danger from rebellious provincials, and to meet these dangers was the first task that devolved upon Vespasian. We shall see presently how the insurrection in Judea was suppressed. There he had merely to finish a work which was already half accomplished. We must follow the curious and terrible rebellion which, breaking out among auxiliary troops of the Germanic army, extended to the free Germans beyond the Rhine, and led to the foundation of a transitory Gallic empire. In the province of Lower Germany, the Batavians, who occupied the delta of the Rhine, the district enclosed between the Valhallis while, and the Rhine proper, held a peculiar position. Their fidelity to the empire had been conspicuous. They had taken no part in that movement of their countrymen which led to the defeat of Verus. They paid no tribute, but on the other hand they were required to supply a very large contingent of recruits to the army. They did not grumble at the burden of this conscription. They were brave and daring soldiers, skilful in riding and swimming. Eight Batavian cohorts, associated with the 14th legion in Upper Germany, had been sent with that legion to take part in the conquest of Britain, where they had distinguished themselves conspicuously by their valour. Both the legion and its auxiliaries were recalled by Nero to aid in the eastern expedition which he planned at the end of his reign, but the revolt of Vindex, which had just then broken out in Gaul, led to a discord between the legionaries and the cohorts. While the legions hastened to Italy to defend their master, the 8,000 Batavians refused to follow. This was probably due to the fact that two Batavian officers, Julius Civilis and Claudius Paulus, had been accused falsely of treason, and while Paulus was put to death by Fonteius Capito, governor of Lower Germany, Civilis had been sent to Nero and thrown into prison. After Nero's fall, Galba released Civilis and ordered the Batavian cohorts to return to Britain. But when they had reached the city of the Ligones, the insurrection of the Germanic army in favour of Vitellius took place, and after long hesitation the Batavians embraced his cause. They did him good service in the battle of Betriacum, where they measured swords with their former comrades of the 14th, which was fighting for Otho. After the victory, the Batavians were commanded to accompany the 14th to Britain, but the legion and the cohorts came to blows at Augusta Torinorum, Turin and separated, the legionaries proceeding to Britain, and the Batavians to Morguntiacum. The latter were soon summoned back by Vitellius, when he was threatened by Vespasian. But Antonius Primus sent a messenger to hinder their complying with this summons, and immediately afterwards a revolt broke out in Germany, which prevented the troops in the north from taking part in the conflict in Italy. The organiser of this revolt was Julius Civilis. He was looked up to by his Batavian countrymen on account of his high descent, and he was a man of more brains, says Tacitus, than barbarians are usually endowed with. He had only one eye, 
and he liked to compare himself to Hannibal and Sertorius, who were disfigured in a like way. The idea of the revolt is said to have been suggested by Primus, who thought in that way to keep the Germanic legions at a distance. The plan served his immediate purpose, but the revolt assumed far larger proportions than he could have anticipated. The unfairness of the Roman levies was a sufficient grievance. If Civilis began by playing for Vespasian, he ended by playing for himself. It is impossible to say whether he had matured the deeper game of a rebellion against Rome from the very beginning. He first roused the inhabitants of his native country to rebel. Calling the chiefs of the Batavians to a nocturnal banquet in a sacred grove, he revealed the scheme of his revolt. The Caninifates, the northern neighbours of the Batavians, were next gained over, and then the Frisians, and messengers were sent to Morgantiacum to secure the adhesion of the eight Batavian cohorts. Somewhere near the mouth of the Rhine was a winter camp of two Roman cohorts. It was seized and destroyed. This was the first act of the revolt. The other garrisons in the territory were soon dislodged from their castella, and a cohort of Tungarian auxiliaries went over to the rebels, and part of the Rhine fleet, numbering twenty-four ships, fell into their hands. These successes supplied the insurgents with arms and ships, and Civilis invoked both Germany and Gaul to join him in supporting the cause of Vespasian. At this time, both Lower and Upper Germany were under the single command of Hordionis Flaccus, an old and utterly incompetent man, decrepit with gout, who was inclined secretly to Vespasian's cause, and was suspected by his soldiers of treachery to Vitellius. The remnant of the legions which had accompanied Vitellius and his generals to Italy may have been partly supplemented by new recruits, but in no case can they have consisted of more than about half the usual number. In Lower Germany, the 5th and 15th were stationed at Castra Vetera under the legatus Munius Lupercus, the 16th under Numisius Rufus at Novaecium, Neus, between Vetera and Colonia, the 1st under Herennius Gallus in the southern extremity of the province at Bonna. The boundary between the two Germanies was at the river Abrinca, south of Rigomagus, Remagen. Thus Confluentes, Coblenz, belonged to the upper province. In it two legions, 4th Macedonica, and 12th, lay at Moguntiacum. It is possible that part of the 21st was also left in garrison at Vindonissa, Windisch, but it took no part in the earlier events of the rebellion. By the command of Flaccus, the two legions of Vetera marched against the rebels, who were now receiving promises of help from the German tribes beyond the Rhine. Both legions together hardly amounted to five thousand men, but Munius Lupercus obtained reinforcements from the Ubians and cavalry from the Treveri. He had also a squadron of Batavians, who feigned fidelity in order to desert him in the action. The battle was fought north of Vetera, and was decided by the desertion of the Batavian horse, who suddenly turned upon the Romans. The Ubians and Treveri fled, and while the Germans pursued them, the legions retreated to Vetera. Meanwhile, the messengers of Civilis had moved the eight Batavian cohorts at Moguntiacum to rebel. They made large demands from Flaccus, and when he had made considerable concessions, they insisted on further demands which they knew could not and would not be granted. Then they left the camp and set out to Lower Germany to join Civilis. The general, instead of ordering his legions to cut the mutineers to pieces, allowed them to depart, but presently, changing his mind, sent a letter to Herennius Gallus at Bonna, 
bidding him prevent the Batavians from passing, and promising to follow with his own army in the rear. Then, changing his mind once more, he wrote again to Gallus, ordering him to allow them to jam. This shuffling conduct of Flaccus gives good ground for suspecting him of treachery. The Batavians reached Bonna by the road on the left bank of the Rhine, and sent a message to Gallus, demanding that they should be allowed to pass in peace. The legatus was almost disposed to comply, but his soldiers compelled him to try the fortune of a battle. The first legion was completely defeated and driven back to the camp. The victors, taking no further advantage of their success, continued their northward march, and turning aside to avoid Colonna Agrippinensis, joined the army of the insurgents. Cyrillus was now in command of a regular army, and German tribes from beyond the Rhine, such as the Bructeri and the Tencteri, had flocked to his standard. He made an attempt to induce the two legions which had retreated to Vetera after the defeat to embrace the cause of Vespasian, but they were obdurate in their loyalty to Vitellius. He resolved to blockade the camp and ranged his troops on both banks of the Rhine. Vetera was not a strong position, either by nature or by art. On the west side there was a level approach to the Praetorian Gate. Augustus had regarded it as a winter station from which the legions should go forth to attack the Germans, not as a place in which they might have to defend themselves against German assailants. Lupercus and Rufus had to repair the fortifications, which had suffered from the effects of a long peace. The attempts of the Germans to storm the place were unsuccessful, and they were obliged to blockade it. Flaccus, in the meantime, had sent messengers throughout Gaul to obtain auxiliaries, and, on learning the danger of Vetera, dispatched Dilius Vocula, the legatus of the 22nd, with chosen legionaries, to march to its relief with the utmost speed. Flaccus himself followed by ship. The troops, when they heard of the successes of Civilis, murmured loudly that Flaccus was playing them false, and in order to appease them, Flaccus read aloud a letter which had arrived from Vespasian, and sent the bearer in chains to Vitellius. When he reached Bonner he was assailed by the reproaches of the first legion, who attributed their defeat by the Batavian cohorts to his false promises. But he reassured them of his good faith in some measure by reading copies of the letters which he had sent to Gaul, Britain and Spain for assistance. Auxiliary troops from Gaul were already arriving, and the army advanced by Colonia to Novasium, where they picked up the 16th legion and proceeded to Gelduba, Gelb a little lower down the river. Here the leaders, Vocula and Gallus, to whom the conduct of the warfare was entrusted, made a camp and practised the soldiers in the operations of war. Apparently the demoralisation of the troops was such that the officers did not feel prepared to risk an action at Vetera until the discipline was confirmed. The temper of the soldiers is shown by an incident at Gelduba. A corn-ship had run into the shallows of the river, and Germans on the right bank were trying to capture it. Gallus sent a cohort to prevent them, but the Romans were defeated. The soldiers accused their officer of treachery, dragged him out of his tent, beat him, and kept him bound until the arrival of Vocula, who was absent on an excursion against the Kugani, a tribe which dwelled north of the Ubii. Vocula executed the ringleaders. Civilis did not confine his operations to Vetera, he sent troops beyond the river Mosa to stir up the Menapii, Morini, and other tribes of northeastern Gaul. Another band ravaged the lands of the Treveri and the Ubii. 
the Ubii were made the mark of special hatred, because under their new name of Agrippinenses they seemed to have renounced their German origin, and their cohorts were defeated at Marcordurum, Durin. A third band threatened Morguntiacum. Such was the state of affairs at the end of October, 69 AD, when the news of the great defeat of Vitellius at Cremona arrived. The Gallic auxiliaries immediately declared for Vespasian. At Novicium and Gelduba the legions took the military oath to the new emperor, but without enthusiasm. It was now necessary for Civilis to declare himself, and show whether the sole object of his revolt was the elevation of Vespasian. His mask could no longer deceive anyone. It was clear that the deliverance of the Germans of northern Gaul from the Roman yoke was the aim of the war. He sent a force, including the eight veteran Batavian cohorts, against the army at Gelduba. In their rapid march from Vetera they seized Ascibergium, Asberg, and swooped down upon the Roman camp so suddenly that Vocula had no time to spread out his line. He placed the legions in the centre, and the auxiliaries surrounded them in irregular order. The battle almost proved a defeat for the Romans. The cavalry advanced, but turned and fled before the firm array of the Germans, and brought confusion into the ranks of the cohorts, who were then easily cut down by the foe. The auxiliary Nervii deserted, and the legions were being discomfited, when the tide of battle was turned by an unexpected reinforcement. Cohorts of the Vascones of the Pyrenees, supposed to be the forefathers of the Basques, enrolled by Gala when he was governor of Taraconensis, happened to arrive at this moment, and attacked the enemy in the rear. The Germans, believing that forces had arrived from Novesium or Morgantiacum, were disconcerted and utterly routed. After this victory, Vocula at length advanced to the relief of Vetera, which was suffering severely from want of supplies, and succeeded in entering the place after a hard fight with the besiegers. The beasts of burden and the camp followers were sent to Novasium, to bring provisions by land, as the enemy commanded the river. The first supply was conveyed safely, but on the second occasion Civilis attacked the cohorts which escorted the train of wagons, and compelled them to retreat to Gelduba. Vocula, having added to his own army a thousand chosen men of the legions of Vetera, marched to Gelduba, and, as the cohorts refused to return to Vetera, proceeded to Novasium, the headquarters of Flaccus. Here a mutiny broke out. A donative for the soldiers had arrived from Vitellius, and Flaccus distributed it in the name of Vespasian. The soldiers, excited by the carouses which followed, revived their anger against Flaccus, dragged him out of his tent, and slew him. Vocula would have experienced the same fate had he not escaped from the camp in disguise. The army proclaimed Vitellius emperor, although he was already dead. These events seemed to have taken place in the last days of December, but the legions of Upper Germany soon dissociated their cause from that of the others. Along with Legion I, they placed themselves under the command of Vocula, renewed their allegiance to Vespasian, and marched up the Rhine to deliver Morgantiacum, which was threatened by the Chatri, the Usipi, and the Matiaki. But on their arrival the enemy was already departing. Vocula remained during the rest of the winter at Morgantiacum. Civilis renewed the blockade of Vetera and occupied the camp of Gelduba, which the Romans had abandoned. End of chapter 20, section 1